What do you think? I think we're dead meat. Real dead meat. You're dead meat! Go ahead and laugh, you guys. If I ever find a little bastard, it's business. Dead meat. Welcome to the Dead Meat Podcast, an extension of the YouTube channel Dead Meat. I'm James. I'm Chelsea, and we're engaged, and we like to get scared together. Guys, we mentioned this last week, but uh, yeah, this week we have Bria Grant on with us, uh, writer-director of maybe my favorite horror from last year, like definitely one of my favorites. You guys know I've, I've talked this movie up, and you could all, if she doesn't believe us, you can tell her that we did before we knew we were going to interview her. I promise I'm not just saying it. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you here. Um, yeah, I want to talk a lot about, I mean, obviously 12-Hour Shift. You have a new movie out, Lucky, which James and I have already watched and we really, really enjoyed. Can we get into some spoilers with that are we allowed to well we should talk spoiler free at first sure 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 at least for people who yeah, want to check it i mean out. it's out it's out there that's I, true I, i'm the biggest spoiler person in the i love i spoil things so oh, yeah. i try to not but i mean it's very hard not to yeah <laughs> yeah lucky just came out last week on shutter one of our favorite services and it's a movie that you uh i thought co-wrote but no you just wrote it right you i just you, wrote it just yeah. me yeah cool and then also star in it Yes. And that, uh, yeah, so that just came out on Shudder. Like we said, 12 Hour Shift came out last year, uh, which you wrote and directed. And then also recently was um, After Midnight, which we were able to mm -hmm. catch, and The Stylist, which we, we didn't have time to, to fit in. But it sounds like you've just been so busy. I don't know how you have the time to do all this. Also, uh, I, this just came in the mail before we started rolling. Uh, oh, you, you wrote a comic <laughs> and I, you know, I was like, Oh, this was probably from a few years ago. No, the, about the author mentions 12 hour shift and lucky. So oh my God. did this just come out too? Like what? Yeah. It came out in October. Yeah. Wow. Hi, can you tell we're like total weirdos for you? <laughs> no, just I'm being open about it. <laughs> I, you did your research and that's <laughs> very exciting for me. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, I, I just, you know, the, the first thing I, I'd seen of yours was 12-hour shift, and I instantly was just, I, I just wanted to, to see anything else you had done, because that movie was just such a, it hit, like, such a specific spot for me, and I, I talk about that when we did our kind of, like, mini review of it, but I'm, I'm curious what your influences were for that, and in general, because that movie has just such a very, like, it, again, it's, like, so specific, but it like, it just, I don't know, like I got it. I felt like it clicked for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was listening to an interview with someone the other day and they were talking about like, who was it? I think it was Paris. Like, I think it was like the director of Parasite. It was somebody, I can't remember who it was, but he was talking, they were like, your movies are weird tonally. And he was like, that's just who I am. And I don't mean to do that. And I think that's sort of the case with me too. Like people kept asking me, they were like, oh, it's very Coen Brothers-esque. And I was like, huh, I do like the Coen Brothers. Mm -hmm. I think they're great. I would never be able, I, I haven't seen all of their movies by any stretch of the imagination. And I don't even know if I could tell you which one was my favorite. Although since then I revisited a lot to see, like I, I was like, did these influence me more than I think? And they probably did. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love genre. So I think I'm influenced by just a lot of indie horror. I love indie horror, but also... I do love kind of a fast paced, like Edgar Wright, Tarantino kind of style. And I think 
especially a 12 hour shift when writing it, that was what I kept picturing was all these sort of like heisty kind of movies that I really love, but finding, putting them like in a world that I am more familiar with, which is like a small town in the nineties. Yeah. Uh, I I love a good heist movie. And I love, especially, I, I think, you know, it made me realize when you said, uh, People have maybe pointed out, oh, is this kind of a Coen Brothers? Which I that is something I, I mentioned as I was like, it feels yeah. like a which I love. Yeah. It was like it feels like a Coen Brothers thing, but specifically, it feels Coen Brothers to me because everyone in it is kind of a fuck up, <laughs> and it's just this powder keg. You just know it's gonna like the the first domino is gonna fall, and like the third act is just gonna be an absolute shit show. But I wonder if it's like we we so seldom see movies where women get to be fuck ups that I wonder if it's like when that happens people just are like oh it's like blank this other director because it's like no I think it's just women are fuck ups and we just actually don't get to see it that often it's not that you know totally I mean for sure I mean I'm a fuck up so I think I enjoy (laughs) writing a fuck up character I think that is my favorite kind of characters are these sort of like naive fuck ups. You were like, I don't, I didn't even know I was messing up. That is like a funny mm-hmm. premise to me always, like no matter what scenario it's in, but no, you're totally right. I mean, my little uh, feminist mission for sure in this was, you know, in order to have movies that are about women that are, you know, all kinds of movies about women, which is what we need. We need women with flaws. And I definitely wrote characters with flaws in this movie and in Lucky. Um, I wanted these flawed female characters because in order to see women as human, we need to give them human characteristics. And for better or for worse, humans have flaws. So that, that, I mean, women should have flaws and they should be fuck up sometimes and they should be weird and uh, lame. And I don't know, like all of these things, like I don't want my female characters to be superheroes unless I'm writing, you know, fucking Wonder Woman or something. Yeah, that's what really resonated with me. And that's why I think I liked it so much is it's like, you you don't get to see that that often where it's like now we're in this weird kind of zone where we're all very aware of, oh, we need to have more women in film, but all, women always have to be good for some reason. Like it's this weird hang up we have where it must always be positive representations of women. And to me, that's like, that doesn't really speak to me. It's you know? patronizing. It too. is. It's. Yeah. I find it very patronizing, and I, I. I think of movies I love, like you love Tarantino. Also, Tarantino's maybe my favorite director, and all of his cast. And he does have a lot of amazing women in his films, but his characters are all deeply flawed and weird. And um, yeah, it's like so are are women. We're just people, and yeah, yeah. And there's room for all of it. That's what's so. I mean, that's kind of where I hope we're getting to. I don't think we're there yet, but mm-hmm. there's room. For all kinds of women in movies, you don't, you can have these these perfect kind of final girls. You can have, I mean, we've been playing with virgin cheerleaders for so long. I think we can be done. But, other, but I mean, other we can have these like women that do these like noble things and, and, and that kind of woman. I just think we also need to make room for the women who are, yeah, bad, not making great choices maybe killing people uh the things that that that, um i just kind of make them more nuanced and interesting to me yeah i think gray area characters are something i would love to see more women get to write and and play because yeah it, it, it is weird how that kind of unintentionally we've made another type of like you know madonna horror kind of 
dynamic yeah. with this like attempt to like, no, we need more women in film, but they must always be good or else it's bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's just, I, I don't mean to, to ramble at you about your own film, but I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Seriously. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Regina from 12 hour shift. Oh my God. Regina one of my is... favorite characters ever. Yeah. yeah. I just, I love uh, Chloe Farnworth's portrayal. I was shocked to find that she is British and uh, nailed that Southern accent. <laughs> What a, what a blessing she is. She's <laughs> real joy. I, I will say like the nicest person I, I found her. I mean, like she auditioned for the role and she just brought something to it. I think on the page, the role was quite dark and very, um, it, it was, it was like, she was a jerk on the page and Chloe came in with such conviction that she was doing what was right. And like the, the character never judged herself. And when she did that, I was like, oh, oh my God, that's not what I was picturing, but it's the exact thing we need for this character. And she just, uh, y'all should have her on. She's so lovely. She, she's just the nicest person in the world and the kind of person who like, you know, she, it's her day off. She still shows up to set because she just kind of likes being around people. Like just- Oh my God. That's um, just wonderful. Made that uh, but, yeah, brought that character to life in a way that I didn't expect, which was great. Yeah, I we rewatched that movie with our with our social pod of <laughs> like a couple of our friends and like the second time around, I just realized, yeah, there's an there is a way to play that character that, you know, for me, I think if I, if I read that script, it would be like the obvious way to play her, right? And then that whole movie, I was so aware that the choices she's making are just so wild that it's like truly special that she found that version of that character. Because I think that that's that wouldn't just come naturally from, you know, that like a heist. It's like or a horror, especially you kind of want her to be a, you know, maybe. Yeah, like more aware of what she's doing or more of an outright villain. She's like an unintentional villain, which I think is so funny. Yeah, yeah. It made her so much more likable. So you're willing to watch the story and see how it unfolds and see what she actually does. Yeah. She she just uh really brought that role to life. It's great. How how much of her dialogue or is there anything you can think of in particular, um, plot wise or just dialogue or, or character trait wise that after she was cast and you kind of had this new idea of who this character was that you then went and changed? Like, was there anything that is like specifically this new version of the character? Well, by the time we cast, I think we had like two weeks till we started shooting. So I did not do many script changes because I was deep in prep by that point. But um, something I like to do is I give the actors on every, I try to do it on every setup, but at least on in every scene, I try to give the actors their own take where they can go off script. They can change up anything they want. They can throw away all of my notes. So once I feel like I've gotten what I want, I let the actors kind of improvise and do whatever, whatever they want. Um, and I think, you know, I use, it's weird with some characters, I use a ton of it. Uh, and I'm sure you can imagine like who those are. Like some of the side characters just are very brilliant improvisers and they just came up with stuff in the spot that I'm like, this is going in the movie. Um, Chloe, I did use some of her stuff, some of her improv, um, but a lot of that was definitely on the page. Like I wanted this character who rambled, who said a lot of stuff that didn't necessarily make sense, who's kind of in her head and will talk about something that no one else is talking about. Um, so a lot of that was there, but I mean, it's a lot of memorization for her, which I feel, you know, that kind of makes it more impressive for me that it's so much of that original dialogue, which means the intent was this totally different character. And she just read it and was like, oh, here's this totally other, like this totally different thing I'm kind of mining out of here, like sifting out. It's so crazy. Which character? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, I think, I think, um, 
you know, when actors, I mean, coming from an acting background, they always tell you like, bring yourself to the role. And like, I never understood what that meant. Like, you're always <laughs> like, what, what it, but this role is not me. So how the, how the hell am I supposed to do that? And I feel like she's a person who does, like she just brought herself mm-hmm. to the role and herself is a nice person. And um, she would approach everything in a way that she was doing what was best at that moment. And uh, that, that, that really worked, I think. Yeah. Which characters would you say you used uh, maybe the most improv takes from because from other interviews that I watched because uh full disclosure I am covering 12 hour shift on on the other show on our channel the kill count which involves a lot of like behind the scenes information so I've watched a lot of interviews with you and oh. uh so that's why I know a lot of random know, we're facts just, like, I'm super tell creepy the this week. stories I'm so sorry we I've also done interviews with uh people and yeah it's the same stories and actually when we were watching lucky and there's that scene where you're talking about how uh your character's not lucky you've done <laughs> do all those interviews and you've answered the same question time we're just like oh no uh, yeah I was like oh no that's gonna be us asking questions and <laughs> so what was it like making a movie can you tell us <laughs> <laughs> But in my uh, research, I would guess maybe uh, Nakia Gamby Turner, who plays Karen, or because uh, I, I, I use yeah, I use a lot of her improv. I also Tom DeTrenis, who plays uh, Mr. Kent. Thank you, yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> what is this movie? Who wrote it? Um, uh, that's my favorite joke when we're doing something, and I'm like, "This is who wrote this movie?" That's my favorite <laughs> mid uh, shoot joke. Um, Yes, Mr. Kent, lots of improv. Um, he's, uh, Tom DeTrenis is just really brilliant. Actually, also Brooke Sagan, um, who plays Janet, yes. is a really brilliant improviser. She had a lot of good jokes in there. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Angela too. I mean, everyone I used a, a bit of their improv, but for sure, Tom DeTrenis, he has this whole run at the end where he's like talking still. And like, he's like, don't touch my head. This is that. He's like talking like that is not in the movie. Like that was not the <laughs> talking about God knows what. In fact, like I met, I talked to all the actors. I knew him beforehand. I knew almost everybody beforehand. Um, and um, I had calls with all of them and I was like, let's find the thing that makes your character interesting and that isn't necessarily on the page. So um, he and I kind of came up with the idea that um, he was taking notes and he was real nosy and like was going to write down everything that happened. That wasn't in the original script. Um, So he really ran, ran with that in a way that I completely didn't expect. Um, So yeah. Yeah. But I mean, everyone got, I mean, I definitely used uh, improv from every, every single person. The outtakes from the movie would be, insane because sometimes you know you let people improv and it's it just goes somewhere else and you're like that made the whole crew laugh we'll never make it Uh (laughs) but I'm fine to let it go because I feel like it's kind of like for an actress almost like you just get to make sure you're getting everything you want out of that scene and out of that moment and even if that's just like saying something that doesn't even belong you you got it out there and I Mm -hmm. think that that's what's what's important and in some ways makes them makes the actors trust you as a director a little bit more, I think. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, you mentioned that you knew a lot of the cast beforehand. And I, I realized that while doing my research that it probably felt like such a tight knit close group of friends or family on set, which probably lent to the improvisational feel and, and just the fun atmosphere of the movie. But I did have a very specific question. Uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned, is it Brooke Sagan? Is that how you pronounce her yeah. last name? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I know that she worked on the real housewives of horror with you in uh, like 2013 and, yeah. but she's also on an improv team with Tara Perry. So yeah. did she introduce Tara to you or did you also know Tara independently? And it was just this, Oh, we all know each other. I think. 
good question. <laughs> this Tara, Tara to me. I think somehow I met Tara through. So I knew my producers, um, Jordan Long and Matt Glass, because they did behind the scenes videos on Real Housewives of Horror in oh. 2015. They did some <laughs> of my BTS. Um, and maybe I met her through them. I'm not sure. I've just known Tara forever. She's one of those people just like in my circle. I've, I have no idea because I knew Brooke Sagan far before I, we shot that too, because uh, through a mutual friend, Cindy Parikh. So look, LA is not that big. No, I, it's not. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. It seems big, but like <laughs> I meet someone like in my, in like my, world that I know people I know I'm always shocked um Dusty Warren who's in the movie I didn't know him before this but he knows a lot of the people involved in the movie so that was like a cool like oh I didn't know him and I got to know him through through the process of the movie um so you know you meet new people but most people you kind of have some sense of them already yeah, yeah. and I saw that your that that group of people is also working on Ghosts of the Ozarks yeah. uh mm -hmm. with David Arquette attached mm -hmm. again and yeah. I saw that he managed to get another wrestler involved in that movie because I was looking at the casting and I was like, Wait. that guy looks familiar, but I didn't recognize the name. It's Eric Rowan, uh, previously from the WWE, now AEW. Yeah. But I just have to assume that David got him involved on that because he's he's responsible for Mick Foley being in 12-hour We're shift, wrestling right? fans. If you ah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he is responsible for 12, for uh, Mick Foley being in 12-hour shift. And I just, yeah. I have to ask how. What was, what was it like? Yeah, because he's my favorite wrestler <laughs> of all time from yeah, when I watched as like a nine-year-old. Listen, I don't know hardly anything about wrestling. So mm. when they were like, what wrestler do you want? It was uh, the, the one I can name. Uh, that's not David. Um, uh, but yeah, he was lovely. He um, uh, was only in set for a day, flew out just for that day. And um, he shot, there's this end piece uh, in the movie where he's walking into the um, hospital at the very end. And we shot that first and people showed up I don't know how people find this stuff out, but they found out he was there. They showed up with a bunch of books. Uh, so he just signed a bunch of stuff. And then in the next location, he signed a bunch of stuff. He was just like completely lovely. So nice. Um, I can't say enough good things about him. And then, and he had a really funny improv bit with uh, Chloe that they, that was very hilarious. It didn't make it in the movie because it would have made that scene entirely too funny and silly. Uh, but I would tell, I a hundred percent love to make him do something again for me. Cause I feel like I forced him to do this bad guy role, which is not really who he is. Um, mm -hmm. And I would love to write something nice for him. <laughs> he was great though. He, he kind of nailed that thing where I, I talked about on our podcast before, where I think John Goodman has this amazing ability to feel he's like the cuddliest man, but he can be so scary yeah. And Mick Foley, I think, could can nail that, which I would have. That's surprising to me. I feel like he's even when he's a bad guy in wrestling, quote unquote, he's still kind of cuddly. Like mankind right. is kind of, you know, he's right, like right. face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, God, Mick Foley should play like a slasher. Right, it'd be so good. Uh, Wow, let's pitch that. You want to trademark that and pitch it right? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, yeah. a mankind movie would be amazing. Yeah, right there, yeah. with Mr. Sacco and it, that'd be so great. Oh, you know, Vince owns those rights. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, I I know that we definitely want to talk about Lucky a bit, but I uh, if I'm able to, I, I wanted to ask about my first experience seeing you on screen was Rob Zombie's Halloween Two which I know was a while ago now, but, uh, you know, I covered that on my channel a few years ago. And, you know, by, by that point, that's like the 10th Halloween movie or something. So I was pretty much all Michael Myers doubt. And, uh, but I do remember that like the scenes with, um, Taylor and, uh, it's, it's Taylor yeah. Scout Compton, right? Yeah. 
yes. Taylor. Or Scott, Scott Taylor. I'm sorry. Yes. Thank you. Scott Taylor Compton and uh, like her Laurie Strode and her new friends were one of the my more favorite parts of those movies. And I actually saw you speaking on a panel at one of the Monster Paloozas, whether it was Son of Monster Palooza or Monster Palooza with maybe. Maybe at the Halloween conference. Oh, you, it, it might have been the Halloween. Yeah, actually, yeah, it was That's the Halloween 40. Anniversary thing. And I was like, I, I, uh, people don't like to hear this, but I have a lot of trouble with the conference. The thing I have all, I've tried, I'm a little awkward in person and I have trouble like signing things for hours. It makes me very, um, it takes a lot out of me. It's like the next day, it's like I have the flu. Like it's mm-hmm. like, it's very, uh, I, I know I come across as an extrovert and I am not. Uh, so I'm very, I'm the same. I'm the exact same yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. But then you end up in these industries where this is what you have to do. But I did do the Halloween anniversary show. And I, this was not your question, but I have to say, um, I don't do those very often. And it was so awesome because I don't get to talk to people about Halloween too very much. And all these people showed up and they had like props from the movie. They had posters. Like they were like, they're like, you're the only person I don't have signed my poster. And I was like, <laughs> it was such a joy because I don't get to talk about that one as much. Cause I think it kind of gets shoved away in the Halloween canon a little bit. Yeah. That to me just really demonstrates the, like, I think very true fact that if you, act in a horror movie or are involved in a horror movie. It doesn't even matter how small the role. Horror fans are just so loyal that there will be like horror fans that love you and remember you from like whatever random role you did. It's, it's really special. Yeah. There's something like now that you mentioned Rob Zombie and I'm thinking about like his, you know, Halloween and Halloween too. the, the scenes in that with Lori and her friends and even kind of, I mean, the stuff with Michael and his family is a lot more heightened, but just this kind of like not clean suburbia and kind of run down suburbia. And I see a lot of that in 12 hour shift too, where we don't quite, you know, we don't get a ton of backstory on everyone, which I like, but we get just enough to kind of know we get that the only reason that our main character is doing what she does is, you know, she's in dire straits and it's like, there is this kind of, it's like, there's no sheen on that, you know, American setting. And I, I don't know, is that something that you uh, are inspired by when you write? Or is that something that means a lot to you? Or I mean, I'm definitely drawn to like dark scenarios, I think. Um, I'm from a small town uh, in the 90s uh, that didn't, and, and a small, like somewhat rural place that didn't have a lot of money. And uh, mm-hmm. that's, uh, just a place that I really wanted to be able to capture on in a movie. Um, and I think when I first, first started writing 12 hour shift, I was like, I just want to write something that really represents like East Texas in the nineties, like where I'm from. It ended up being set in Arkansas because of uh, tax incentives, mm-hmm. but, uh, <laughs> but it was just important to me to kind of capture it because there isn't a lot of money there, but that doesn't mean it's not interesting. And that, it, and there's no judgment on that. It's just like, this is where these people are. This woman this is the beginning of the opioid crisis. This is, Mm -hmm. she's addicted to opiates, like as what was happening at that time. And she doesn't have a lot of money and neither do the people around her. And so they're doing what they have to do for the money. And I didn't want to have a lot of judgment about that because, uh, you know, the nineties were a weird era. Yes, they were. (laughs) I I was just listening to a podcast yesterday about the weird dream era of the nineties and how we still haven't come to terms with how weird that 10 years was. Like everyone had their eyes closed. Yes, it really was just like everything can only go up from here. Kind of, (laughs) kind of thing. And yeah, I, I love that, uh, that kind of, and that's, that's the same thing that I, I, 
feel like I notice in Rob Zombie and couldn't quite, you know, you, you put words to what I was feeling is just the, yeah, the lack of judgment. It's just portrayal without judgment. It feels very real and kind of lived, you know? Yeah, and, and that's that's something that I always talk about when I cover Rob Zombie movies is I know that he gets a lot of flack for... Uh, like hellbillies and stuff? Yeah, like the hellbilly kind of aesthetic and the way the characters speak. And, you know, there are plenty in his movies that make me uncomfortable that I would prefer maybe not be included in those movies. But uh, I always defend the portrayal of that type of character just because, you know, some people may not find them realistic, but when I watch those movies and to an even greater extent, stuff like 12 hour shift, I see people who like, uh, we're from the Detroit area, but my, my neighborhood was South of Detroit, uh, a little bit lower working class. And just like, I know people who speak like this. I know people who act like this. And I don't think that they should be invalidated by never having their stories told. So I really appreciate that he mm -hmm. and other filmmakers like you are willing to go to bat and show those stories. Yeah, there's nothing about the characters of 12 hours. I mean, that is, I mean, I I have learned to speak maybe a little differently, but I do think there there's nothing about those characters that felt false to me as far as the way they spoke and the way I wrote them on the page. And fortunately, fortunately for me, um, Angela Bettis is also from Texas, so she really got it. Tara Perry's from uh, Arkansas. Arkansas yeah. Brooks from uh, Louisiana, like a lot of those people are from those areas. Mm -hmm. um, and those that weren't really understood it and were also not judgmental of the characters. I mean, a conversation I had with Nikia early on is I was like, look, I don't, I like there, you're not doing anything. You know that it's maybe not the best, but I don't think you're doing something that you feel like is extremely wrong. And like, we can't come in and judge these characters for what they're doing because that's kind of like, that's not the movie I want to make. I mm -hmm. want this. And I'm trying to make a fun movie. And for me as a person, I love escapist media. I love things that kind of like make the world bigger. And even though I was trying to set it in a place that I knew I wanted it to feel, you know, a little big in some ways. In the same way, you know, a Tarantino movie kind of does. And these movies that kind of like take reality and then bend it. Um, and so, you know, we start at a place that's very realistic and then we just kind of move into something different. <laughs> yeah. And I think, it, I think it's so valuable to, <clears throat> to kind of get you know, like we were kind of talking about just media like this, where it's, you know, really varying representations of women that are, are unique. And also just, I, I think there's a whole, like, you know, culturally, we're very, um, I think, cruel to kind of uh, suburban, more rural America, especially Southern America is like very, like our depictions of it overall, I think are just very mean. And, um, you know, especially like, I mean, we just had the the freezing weather in, in Texas and some of the, the response to that and dialogue around that I thought was despicable and, and just like so shame. Like that was just such a shameful moment, I think. And I, I wonder how, you know, how much media can contribute to the, to the ways that we we see people from these areas and just assume, you know, like, oh, maybe they they, you know deserve it because they're all just you know backwards and dumb and it's you know so the seeing kind of layered characters that are from those those areas and, and upbringing with like no judgment I I don't know I just think that that's gonna, that's such a valuable thing and um yeah yeah I mean because uh, look growing up like these were the women that I looked up to the, mm -hmm. these kind of like no-nonsense 
badass women who were like dealing with the like the problems of the 90s dealing with maybe not having enough money but like getting through the day but also like having this like very like kind of fucked up sense of humor that I have definitely inherited obviously you saw the movie uh but like it's kind of like there is like something really powerful and strong about these women that gets kind of denied in movies I think you're totally right like we kind of overlook it for something it's bigger, which look, there, I, I also want to see a movie about like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Like that's, I don't, it's not like style of that. I just think there is a strength here to these kind of women that I used as role models for myself. It was these women in these small towns who kind of took no shit. And like that, that was important to me. And I still identify with more than I do with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Cause I'm never going to have like, you know, that kind of <laughs> authority or education or <laughs> all of these things that I think, you know, obviously she was awesome, uh, but I, I'm never going to be that kind of authority figure. I'm only going to be the thing that I probably saw growing up. Hey, want to talk to you about our sponsor this week, Better Help. It's 2021. Let's be more open about our mental health. We're really proud to be sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I've actually been using BetterHelp for a little bit now since before we got the sponsorship deal with them. Actually, I love it. I had been trying to figure out a solution for therapy for a while. I was having a really hard time finding a, a therapist even before COVID. And I decided to check out BetterHelp and I found a therapist that I really, really love. I talked to her about once a week and Therapy can honestly be whatever you need it to be right now since we don't have much person-to-person -person contact. We're all very isolated. Sometimes it's just me talking at my therapist about whatever I'm doing that week. And other times we work on stuff you would expect to work on in therapy. It honestly is up to you. BetterHelp is customized to what you feel comfortable with too. So it can be video, phone, live chat, whatever you need to communicate with your therapist. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. I know from experience, I can attest to that. And you can start communicating with a therapist in under 48 hours. So because this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, Dead Meat listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash deadmeat. That's betterhelp.com slash deadmeat. So go to betterhelp.com slash deadmeat, 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. Do you so, want to talk about Lucky? Yeah, because Lucky is, you know, a, a very woman-centric movie uh, because I, I, my my takeaway from it, if we can, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Uh, also, one of the other things I love about your movies is their efficiency. Uh, I hate when a movie is <gasps> yes. too long for oh no gosh. reason. And yours come in sub 90 and I'm like, it's I will always watch best. it. Yeah. I think 12 hours shift is longer than 90, isn't it? It's like, uh, it's like, nine. It no, might be it's like, like, it's like 86. I is think. it really? I think. No, um, I don't know. I, you know what? It's been a minute since I've seen it. Cause I, <laughs> why would I watch my own movie over and over again? I right. feel like it's longer than that. The script for 12 hour shift was 130 pages. Holy like, crap. The script for lucky was 90, maybe. Oh, like wow. they're very different scripts for sure. Uh, but 12 hour shift is so uh, dialogue heavy. So it's just mm -hmm. like, I only caught one scene out of the final movie um, that didn't make that like ended up that we shot, uh, but we shot everything else. It was just, it's just a movie that moves like that because of the dialogue and you have 
Angelou talks fast and Chloe talks fast and Nakia and like between those it just like moves. They're like walking fast too. Like yeah. if yeah, you have a scene like, where it's like, like the fast nurse walk. Yeah. yeah so. Wait, can you can you say what scene you cut? Just as someone who's watched that movie many times now, I, I'm just so yeah. curious. Yeah, there's a scene. Um, uh, there's a scene. Well, this is so boring if you haven't seen the movie. But um, there's a scene after she finds out she, they're like go in and see um, the patient that you have whose name is also escaping me, Mr. Uh, Mr. Collins. Thank you. Uh, Go see Mr. Collins. In between that, she actually goes outside and sells drugs to the skater kid who dies. Oh, okay. Scene with the skater and she's exchanging money. And then I moved some stuff around. I moved some stuff earlier. Um, Any filmmaker will tell you, I just, just, you have to get to the plot so much faster. And in the script, it's great. You see her sell the stuff. You see her whole life set up. Um, and in the movie, it was just like, we just have to get to the story. Like, we will understand that she's probably selling these drugs at some point. Yeah. But- also, one last question about 12-Hour Shift, just uh, for my purposes in my my coverage of it. The body in the morgue that uh, Angela Bettis cuts the kidney out of, is that the same person who she sticks the morphine in earlier? Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. That's what I thought. Yeah. Just He's, make sure. uh, that, that man is lovely. He's also in a scene where he's being pushed down a gurney, down the hallway in a gurney. Um, he's uh, one of the heads of the local bank. There. Amazing. Oh, no, is. oh, is that and when she's like swiping the morphine and she sees them? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, 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 or yeah, I think so. And um, he uh, loves The Walking Dead, and he was like, "I want to be a dead body in this movie." And we were awesome. like, well, "We got a dead body scene, but you got to be buck naked, <laughs> and we're gonna shoot you naked." And he was like, "I'm down." And so his wife came and sat next to me the whole day, and I feel bad. I mean, he'd never done anything like that before, and you know, covered in fake blood, that is not fun. And he's you know, not a hairless man. And so like that is, it was, it was a lot, but he, you know, bless him. He was so nice yeah. and so cool about it. And um, his wife was just like laughing the whole time. It was so great. Bless lovely people three different days. Cause he shot like he was, he's in it several times. So we could like a kind of establish him, but yeah. Wow. On set more than Mick yeah. Foley. Wow. We have no choice but to stand. I think <laughs> <laughs> amazing. His name's Alan. You should stand Alan. Yes, Alan. I love, because, uh, you know, we're being from Michigan, we had, uh, for a few years while we had tax incentives also, we had a lot of movies come to film. And there's something about uh, being somewhere that's not L.A. where movies aren't normally shot. Oh, man, people are so pumped, as they should be. It's movies, and it's magical and amazing. Yeah. And the, it's it's great. That's so fun. Yeah, uh, it's very much people kept, like, coming like we were shooting on one floor of this hospital and word got around and people would just come up to that floor of the hospital and be like we heard there's a movie shooting here and I'm like yeah I'm the director and you're not invited like what <laughs> yeah. are you doing here I actually <laughs> walked to a set that reminded me when we were watching it with with our our social pod uh a friend of ours was like oh man I'll look cars in this and I was like I guarantee because it's I'm like it's it's the town in Arkansas it's like okay so it's a local shoot people are probably so pumped I'm just guessing and I want to see if I'm right someone's like cousin's uncle just has a bunch of classic cars and is like, yes, use my cars in your movie, please. Somebody, we were borrowing a Coke machine from somebody they were going to, and then we were there and we saw these cars and we're like, could we borrow that car and that one too? And that, and they were like, yeah, of course, just take the cars. Yep. It was, yeah, it just- is. Exactly. My, my dad is like a car guy and like a classic car guy and classic car guys, like any opportunity, if you want to use it for a photo shoot, uh, yeah. drive like your friends to the prom. Amazing. They're so down. Yeah. <laughs> they want to show were- off their babies. Yeah. <laughs> so nice. The kids and the guys who like, 
there's some skater kids you see at one point those guys also worked at the place where we got the cars from like it's when you're shooting like in a place like that it's so awesome because people you're like do you want to help and they're like yeah i'm gonna help like and they'll just show up and help you out it's just lovely that's so cool i i just i think it's so cool to hear stories about that where it's like you know something that maybe people don't you know it's a place where you don't see movies shot all the time and just the excitement people have and the willingness to like yeah I want to help work on this thing and make something and be like do something collaborative it's just like a nice I don't know I'll take those kinds of stories now yeah they're not all jaded like us here in LA (laughs) I know like oh they're closing the street again your house I'm like you can never shoot at my house (laughs) (laughs) well just too I feel like we're also like there's such an emphasis on like the individual I mean especially now since we're all so isolated from each other but just it's a very American idea it's like the individual and like every man for himself kind of but filmmaking is so collaborative that I love hearing about like cool movie shoots especially yeah like in a place where that doesn't happen that often and people are like down to do something collaborative and I like that I think that's a cool it's just a nice nice warm feelings from that (laughs) yeah for sure so with Lucky, yeah. we should definitely talk about Lucky. <laughs> I just, I'm having a blast talking about everything else. Uh, Lucky, I, am I right? Did, did it? Is this the script that you've been working on for like years? Is that right? I'm going to be honest with you. I worked on all of them for years. So yeah, 12 Hour okay. Shift also I worked on for, you know, probably a little bit less time because I shot them so close to each other. And I know I wrote it about a year later. So I worked on Lucky for maybe three years before I shot it. And 12 Hour Shift probably two years. Okay. Yeah. And I love, I love letting people know that because I think a lot of people who only consume media and, and don't, uh, help create it, maybe have this false understanding that it's easier to make than it is. When I make my, my videos for YouTube, I'll live stream my editing process just to show people there's a lot of hours that go into these and they're like, Oh wow. You've been editing for, for two whole hours. That's crazy. I'm like, that's, that's nothing bad. So yeah, hearing that it took these scripts years to, to get into shooting condition is really valuable for people to know, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Lucky um, was set up even other places. There were several places that were like, we want to make it. And then it never, uh, just for whatever reason, you know, things didn't work out. But um, yeah, yeah, it took about three years from the time I started writing it to, uh, to basically when it got optioned and then maybe another six months or so till we made it. So. And then how does that kind of shake out with like, you know, since you also direct like, and you direct a 12 hour shift, but you didn't direct Lucky, and but you start, you know, it's like, where, how does that, you know, uh, work out? Like when, you know, how do you decide? Yeah. Do you make that decision? You, of or, like, yeah. Or is that even kind of, I don't want to you? direct Lucky. Uh, no, I mean, I thought I was going to direct Lucky, but, uh, when I took it to Epic, they were like, we love this. We want Natasha Kamani to direct it. They had just done Imitation Girl with her, and I was a fan of hers, and I knew her. And they were like, and we want you to star in it, which I had never planned on being lucky. I just felt like, one, I'm kind of taking a step back from acting. And then, two, I just felt like the character wasn't really me. Like, I was like, this is like a self-help book author, and she has her whole life together, and I'm a mess of a human. And, like, what, what how, how is that, you know, how could I possibly play this role? Um, but then I talked to Natasha, and I kind of got on board for it. And it was nice because I got to be involved with it because it was such a project so close to my heart that I got to be in it, you know, from beginning to end, basically, um, involved with it from beginning to end. Um, And yeah, so I mean, I think, I I mean, I I kind of do know my strengths. I think it would have been a really different movie if I directed it, but I don't know if it would have, I think it's a better movie that Natasha directed it. I think it ended up being the movie it was supposed to be. 
there's a lot going on in that movie. Um, a lot of stuff from my personal life, a lot of stuff uh, that uh, I felt like I was kind of using is in part a catharsis for me, but also kind of exploring, um, yeah, the, all the different ways in which women have to deal with violence and the way we, that women react to it, which is not necessarily good all the time. And uh, I kind of wanted to make an unclean movie, like an, a movie that didn't have a very clean um, slasher ending. The, the, the like, and here's what happens. And then she saves the day and here's the slasher. Uh, and he's this guy and here's his story. It turns out he was killed in a, <laughs> by, by an, a camp counselor or something. Uh, like, I, I was like, I'm not interested in that story. I'm interested in like this woman's story and how she relates to this sort of slasher narrative. And obviously like, I didn't even think of it as a slasher. And Natasha keeps calling it uh, that it wears a slasher skin, which mm -hmm. I think is kind of perfect. Um, but yeah, I was going surreal with all of the knowledge that I have about uh, horror movies, which I love. So, I, you know, playing with the genre itself was really part of what I wanted to do. Yeah, it feels like watching someone's dream in real time. Like, it feels like you plugged something into someone's head and it's just like watching their dream. Because, like, it just, like, the time is weird. And my favorite shot and one that made both of us go, oh, ew, when we saw it is... That's like whenever I'm like, I get super creeped out for some reason. I just, my, my gut reaction is I always go, ew, and I don't even do it on purpose. Is when you're like in the mirror and the mirror in the back doesn't match for a second. Yeah. Ew. It just was. Yeah. Like, and then it ended and I was like, did that really happen? It was so, it was so deeply upsetting. Yeah. Well, so Natasha, I mean, this is something we talk about quite a bit where, you know, the movie starts and it's normal. It's, it's normal. But the more we get into it, the more it is subjectively May's movie. It's May's perspective and the world is fracturing around her. And that was just, she, Natasha knew we wanted to play with this um, broken glass, which is like in the script, like at the beginning uh, and in the movie, but like mirror sort of motif. So that's why there's so many like mirror references and things happening like in reflections and the glass and all that kind of stuff, because we just, we're talking about breaking reality as we know it. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of the idea of like, um, like, because I mean, the movie is about luck, and you know, I mean, it's called Lucky, but just the idea, where, you know, she says, I'm not lucky, you know, she gets like, oh, you, you got attacked, but you escaped, like, you're so, you're so lucky. And I think the, you know, all of the mirrors and different reflections are just the different versions of someone in like another, you know, reality where it's like they weren't lucky, and you just, and it, it just kind of, you know, reminds me of how, if, if you live life, let's say, yeah, as a woman and you, you know, nothing like that ever happens to you or you you um, aren't a victim in, in some way uh, that you just it is like a weird kind of luck where and you see that as luck. But in reality, it's like you just happen to be the one where you made it out. And, it, and it's fucked up that that's lucky instead of just normal, you know, that it's, yeah, it's, if, if you never experience an assault or harassment, like you're really lucky, like that's so messed up. And I feel like, you know, the, the movie is obviously really surreal and, and I feel just a, a big metaphor at times. And, and uh, yeah. And like the end, my takeaway was like, it, it's just like, you never know which guy in your life could be a, a, like a dangerous yeah. one, you know? And I think the the, the fact that um, it ties so much back to like the parking structure really just made me like, that's that's an unsafe place, or at least it mm -hmm. feels like one to many women. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. that actually, 
was a later script edition. Um, I mean, it, I, there was a parking garage moment and then I never came back to it. And at some point I was like, oh, the story was very specifically May's story. And I never saw, you never saw the other women for so long in many versions of the script. And then at some point I was like, oh, what this is, is the world, we have to show that this isn't just happening to May, it's happening in the world. And we're better else to place that than in the parking garage. Yeah. I mean, I would say the lucky, Lucky, we we went through so many names for this movie because uh, it was always called Lucky, but it's not Googleable. It's not easy to find. Yeah, people, the, the distributor. I mean, Shutter was lovely about it, but um, you know, the production company was like, "You're never going to be able to name it Lucky. It's just not going to happen." And we came up with a bunch of other names, and none of them quite fit because I do think you can put it into so many different contexts that it's like, like is she, she is lucky in some ways, right? Yeah. She is that she you know has this privileged life and she has a place she can escape to and she doesn't get killed like these are like actually it is just luck at that point it's not like she did anything correct she's trying to do what she knows how to do but it doesn't necessarily uh mean she did it correctly so i, I mean there are elements of luck to it but then also there's you know obviously the satire of of the word lucky mm-hmm. um and for me, I mean, one of the things I pulled from was um, uh, a few years ago when I was writing the script, I got robbed. Um, and uh, uh, I know I'm laughing about it. I got robbed. Yeah, at the I'm time. so sorry. Yeah, no, no. And I and I had just dealt with, um, and I was dealing with a stalker, which is where this story really oh, came God. from. Um, but the after getting robbed, I called the police and um, uh, I got my, out of my car, I got robbed. And uh, they were like, well, you're just lucky they didn't rape you. And I was like, I got robbed. I'm not lucky. Like, <laughs> right. It's not, it's like, it's still not cool. Um, uh, I, I mean, but in some ways, I mean, he's not wrong. It's just like, like what a world. What yeah. a world where that is a statement that you make to a person. Right. And, it's a, and normal. It, that's a normal, normal statement that you might hear. And I'm hearing from a lot of women who watch the movie and they're like, yeah, these words have been said to me. Like, these things have been said to me. I also, like, don't know any women who haven't felt like they were followed to their car at some point or uh, alone in a place that they shouldn't have been alone, even though the world should all be safe. Yeah, the idea, too, that, like, she is lucky in some way. Weirdly, I was just listening to this this podcast about an experiment with, um, uh, like, racehorse betting where they had, uh, it was by this magician. I love Darren Brown. I end up bringing up Darren Brown all the time on this podcast. But he just, he's such a, he's such a great like psychological um, kind of uh, uh, experimenter where he got a whole bunch of people and told them, I'm going to, uh, I have this system for predicting racehorses. And uh, he, what they did was they had one person in that group one, they predicted the right horse. And then they took that person uh, and they put them in another group. And basically what happened was they, they ended up with one person who won every single one of these bets and this one person was convinced that they had the correct system for that they knew and that it was like a guarantee that they'd be able to predict the, the outcome of these races. And it, it's almost like the idea of like the, the perfect victim, you know, where it's like if someone's just lucky, which this person was, this person was just truly lucky. They happened to be the person who got all of these answers right, you know, it, in life, someone can be truly lucky where something terrible doesn't happen to them. And often we get this idea in our heads that like, well, it's because I did something right when that's not the case. You know, it's just, it, it's, 
you know, maybe all these these other people, other women, uh, did the exact same thing, behave the same way, and it's just, you know, it's the randomness of the universe. But I think, yeah, I, it's weird. Like that that experiment, I thought of that movie and just the idea of like different outcomes, and then there's this one version of a person that you know makes yeah. it through unscathed. Yeah, yeah, it's very, that's very good. I think also like you know. There, there's there's also, and this has been brought up quite a bit, which I think is a good take on the movie. There's a lot of privilege there too, mm-hmm. right? We're talking about uh, the, the character in Lucky is a woman who, you know, has access to a home, has access to the police, yeah. uh, has, has access to all of these things that not necess- that other women not out in her universe, you know, experiencing this exact same thing probably don't have access to. Um, so, yeah. There's a lot of things going on in that movie for sure. It's definitely uh, uh, somewhat of a, a graduate thesis or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, <laughs> it's no. It, it, I I do want to say it's wild that we we've done a few interviews this weekend, and this is like the second interview we're unprompted. And I feel okay saying this because she gave us permission to include her story oh, yeah. in the podcast, yeah. and that's so our, our upcoming interview uh, with a friend of the show, Katie Atkins. But she, you know, talked about. Uh, an experience of hers that was absolutely harrowing to listen to and extremely scary. And that, it, it, I don't know, it's just crazy how the, the two interviews we've just done with women is like, here's this like fucked up story about being a woman. <laughs> it's like, yeah, wild times living life as as a woman. <laughs> it's, yeah. 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 What but a, what a weird world. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's, I, I think why horror is so cathartic and being able to make stuff where it's like almost a portrayal of that you know it's it's like a weird exposure thing or it feels more like a like reclaiming that kind of working situation yeah Mm -hmm. horror is very um very special in that way I don't know if that's part of uh I'm assuming you're just like a horror fan in in general uh sure yeah yeah is there any kind of horror that you particularly love or are drawn to yes well I mean, I tend to like indie indie stuff. Like, just I, I love when I watch something and they're like, they made this for seventy five dollars, and yeah. I'm like, in what is it? Like, I want to see that movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I love like a low budge horror. I am I I'm a big sci fi person, as you can kind of tell from Lucky. It has yeah. like Twilight Zoney ele- uh, parts to it. Um, so I love when horror and sci fi get combined, or yeah. horror and fantasy. Annihilation. Uh, Love Annihilation, read all the books, and then loved the movie. Uh, that that kind of, like, I love that kind of stuff. And then my one of my favorite kinds of horror or genre is, like, our world but different. Mm-hmm. Like, so, uh, uh, what was the movie I just watched that I felt like was this? Oh, His House? Have you watched His House? Yeah, yeah we did a two-parter on that movie. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> Our world, but different. Like our world, but like there's one thing and you're like, wait, oh, that that like brought them out of our universe in this weird way and they're in this other kind of universe. And that kind of stuff is just chef's kiss. That's yeah. what I love. Like, like take me take me to our place, but then make it like different enough. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's the stuff I love. Especially like I read a ton and that's the, those are the books I love too. Yeah. On the subject of horror as a genre, uh, I know that some people, when I cover 12 hour shift this week, are going to be like, that's not a horror movie. I've heard you call it horror adjacent, which is a term I would use. Is that is that accurate? Um, I think it's a workplace comedy. <laughs> oh, you're oh no. I was hoping to get a sound clip to stick in my episode and be like, take that, haters, and now I don't have that, but that's okay. Uh, no, you're right. It is it's horror adjacent for sure. I, yes. I mean it is 
yeah, I, I called it a nurse exploitation for a while. <laughs> yes. I, I tend to make these things that are not, they don't fall neatly into genre, neither does into horror, neither does Lucky. I think yeah. it's a horror movie. It, I think, but I think the nice thing about horror audiences is that they and we, I'll include myself, are open to things that are not straightforward horror. It's not a straightforward slasher. I think people love it. I think that taking that kind of, taking genre elements and putting them into other things, that's that's something I love as well. I love horror comedy. I love things that just take horror elements and throw them into other s- stuff. And I think horror audiences are always open to it. And not only open to it, they embrace it, which is which is great, which is why we played, 12-Hour Shift played so many horror festivals. And I, I... Don't think it is a straightforward genre movie at all, but I do think it is a heist movie with horror elements. Yeah. Or a a workplace comedy. (laughs) And with horror comedies, I was actually, with Lucky, I was kind of thinking of like the Happy Death Day movies. Lucky is almost like a serious spin on, it's like taking a high concept kind of a sci-fi fantasy element, but like where those are comedy, this is more serious. Yeah. I also think Lucky is a little bit of a satire. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I was going for in the writing. And I think that's what Natasha's goal was as well. So yeah, it's like a satire of a slasher almost. And uh, as far as the name goes, I, you had to have had this thought, but for me, it was so interesting that the, the movie's called Lucky and the main character is named May. And there was the horror movie May, directed by Lucky McPhee, starring Angela Bettis, who (laughs) starred in 12-Hour Shift. So you're the first person who's pointed this out, but it is true. I (laughs) named the character of May after Angela Bettis in the movie May because I love- Oh my God. Now, the lucky thing is just random, but I love the movie May. Movie May was so influential for me, which is one of the reasons I wanted Angela Angela in um, 12-Hour Shift. But yeah, that was, it was literally, I pull from movies that I love and I just named the character May and no one has realized that. It's so weird. Like I'm like, and they came out at the same time. You would think people would be like, are you a fan? But (laughs) I got it. Um, Really quick before we let you go, I- no, you mentioned when you were doing research for the 12 hour shift episode, you uh, found out that uh, Bria is an American history. Or did you do a PhD or you uh, uh, masters? Yeah, masters, right? Yeah, I have a master's in American studies. Focusing yeah. specifically on anarchism in the early 20th, like wow. late 19th, early 20th yeah, century. Yeah, and I was like, oh, amazing. Yes, what? I just. I just, Where is that? Where did you find that information? It was another like Zoom interview that was like an hour long, and I sat there and watched it because I I love twelve hour shift, oh, wow. <laughs> so I wanted to know all about it. And I, yeah, my undergraduate was anarchism in the early nineteen, uh, like an anarchist movement in the early nineteen hundreds, uh, late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, and then my master's was focused more on pop culture. But oh, yes. okay. Oh, weird. Well, so- I'm all, we're also huge history yeah. fans. So I mean, I we cover tons of especially American history on the the podcast because horror and American history is just so like yeah. you know you can learn so much like. People, and we know we did an episode on Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and oh, they weren't expecting to hear me talk about the oil crisis in the 70s <laughs> for like an hour, but that's what you get when you sign up for this podcast. Um, yeah, it's my dream to do like an alternate history kind of oh uh, my God. horror thing. I also, I mean, not horror related. I want to do like a like a biopic on Emma, Emma Goldman. Like there's all sorts of yes. things. I would do yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank well, you. thank you so much for your time Bria I know I don't know uh how you spared an hour with so much stuff going on (laughs) I know that you just must always be working on something which I can relate but I really respect thanks thank you yeah
Thank yeah, you it was so excellent much. talking to you. And uh, everyone should definitely check out Lucky, available on Shudder. Uh, 12 Hour Shift is, I think, on Hulu currently. Yep. Uh, or just buy the Blu rays like I do, because does that help you, right? Does that sp- no. Don't- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I admire it every movie. Listen, any word of mouth helps. So this is so helpful. Uh, word of mouth and just watching the movie helps. And, and you know, any way you can get get those numbers up and people hear about it, and then hopefully enough people hear about it, and someone gives me another movie. Yeah, absolutely. I really hope that happens because we're such big fans, and I I will be very much looking forward to anything you do next. Thank you. Appreciate. Yeah. That. So yeah. thanks a lot for your time, Bri. I really appreciate it. And now I get to edit this and just watch both of us be the Chris Farley show. <laughs> yeah, like the remember entire time. What, that time. You remember that movie? time you had McFoley in your movie? <laughs> oh, man. Yes. Uh, she's wonderful. Go check out her stuff. And you can also check out our stuff like at Dead Meat James on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Carebex, C-A-R-E-V-E-C-C on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. Email deadmeatpod at gmail.com with whatever you so desire. As long as it's not mean stuff, don't do that. And uh, I don't know what order yeah, these episodes so are coming out here's in. A, here's the deal. So, okay, this is coming out. This is out now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes no now. sense. To, uh, next week, I want to start our March Madness episodes. We're going to do two. So we're going to do a March Madness one with all our horror villains. And I, I we'll just have them fight each other. I, I always kind of try and think of like a different gimmick for it. But no, we j- I just want to make horror villains fight that's what you guys want to i feel like uh week after that we will do we have an interview we have two other interviews i was gonna say we'll be an interview it'll either be katie atkins from too many cooks uh we finally are gonna cover too many cooks in the podcast that is that was a great interview we talk all things too many cooks and beyond uh we also learn about how uh how best to play a dead body in a movie because apparently katie's played many dead bodies on film so we got all kinds of tips and tricks from her it was fascinating and then our other interview is with spencer charnas from ice nine kills and so we talk about uh metal and how we're gonna make a psycho 98 song together yeah he brought it up first and my soul ascended to heaven and then we'll do a second murder march yes between those two interviews will be March Madness Part 2, which will be, I think, like horror non-villains, like protagonists and maybe even weird secondary characters that aren't the villain. Basically, like, just a, a kind of grab bag of villains that aren't the main, or a grab bag of characters that aren't the main villain. Yeah. We'll get weird with it. So that'll be fun. Uh, check all that out in the weeks to come. But until next time, I'm James. I'm Chelsea. And this has been the Dead Meat Podcast. Mm-hmm.